Hi, I'm Rachel Cooper from the Scientific Podcasting Network, your host for this special episode of The Everyday Science Of. In this episode, I dove into some fantastic discussions with experts from Ellipta, Seventure and Clinical Microbiomics about some of the key areas in healthcare research and the topics in their talks ahead of NLS Days 2021. Enjoy. In the first part of this discussion, I'll be speaking to Eric Delafortel and Henrik Bjorn-Nielsen on their thoughts on the microbiome, one of the buzzword research areas of the past few years. To start off, could you both introduce yourselves to our listeners? Starting with Seventures, Eric Delafortel. So as to myself, I'm a scientist by training. I did a PhD and postdoc in uh, protein structure determination by X-ray crystallography. Uh, I did my PhD in, in Paris and in Uppsala. Uh, that, that's what connects me from the Nordics uh, uh, originally. Um, I was at the uh, Agricultural University in Uppsala for 18 months, uh, finishing my PhD. And then I went to the UK and uh, did my postdoc at the uh, uh, Laboratory of Molecular Biology in Cambridge, uh, where the double helix was discovered by Watson and Crick. The protein structure was discovered by Perutz and colleagues. And there were still people from that time uh, in the corridors. Max Perutz was a few doors down in my corridor, and that was a fabulous experience. Uh, after that scientific experience, I turned to industry, did an MBA, and went to work for a protein structure biotech company in San Diego, California, uh, called Structural Genomics. Um, spent five years there, and then uh, found a great a position in pharma with uh, Hoffman LaRoche in Basel to be the head of uh, technology licensing worldwide. And that was a very, very interesting time understanding how pharma works from the inside. And after six years of this, uh, I got the opportunity to be the CEO of an antibody therapeutics company in Zurich. Uh, I did for three years. Uh, unfortunately, our phase two proof of concept study did not go well. And uh, I switched to becoming an investor with Seventure in 2014. Now, some information about Seventure. Uh, it is one of the leading European uh, venture capital investment managers, um, investing through a variety of funds. Some of its funds are uh, French um, fiscally advantaged funds that can only invest in the European Union. Um, but a large majority of our funds now in the life sciences team is a series of funds called Health for Life, and which are at the initiative of our CEO, Isabelle de Cremoux, um, focused uh, or at least themed around the, the microbiome. And we are the only uh, investment manager worldwide which has raised funds that are themed specifically on the microbiome. And that makes us, by a wide margin, the most prolific investor in microbiome companies with more than 30 microbiome companies in our portfolio currently. And the number is still rapidly growing. Well, it's great to have you here. And I can't wait to discuss your work a little later on. Alongside Eric, for this discussion on the microbiome, we have Bjorn Nielsen. Bjorn, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your research? So uh, I'm Bjorn Nielsen, um, and I'm Chief Scientific Officer at Clinical Microbiomics. 
I've done uh, microbiome research all the way since 2009, which is quite early. Um, I, I was joined Metahit uh, in 2009, I believe. Um, but I've, before that, I've done uh, about 10 years of bioinformatics research. Um, and, and I have done a number of, of um, well, both the biomedical uh, advances in the field, but also a lot of technical advances in the field. So clinical microbiomics, uh, we are a contract research organization that offers a microbiome service for our clients. Uh, and this goes to everything from very simple stuff from, you know, sequencing and profiling uh, of microbiome, uh, microbiomes for our clients to uh, a very advanced uh, and custom tailored analysis Amazing. So it sounds like really critical services to the progression of uh, microbiome research, which is actually a field that has blown up in recent years. But going back to basics, could you just give us a brief introduction to what the microbiome is? Yes. I mean, the microbiome is, is of course, the, the microbes that we have. That the, Most people are thinking of the microbiome as the host-related microbiome. So the, the microbes that are living on and in us. So, and, and a lot of it is in the gut, uh, in our oral cavity, in our, on our skin. Uh, but there's, there's even microbes in our eyes um, uh, and pretty much everywhere there's microbes. And they have been, in, in recent decades, they have been shown to correlate with the, uh, human health, uh, a number of different diseases, um, obviously the inflammatory diseases as well as metabolic diseases have been uh, have been studied a lot in here and found uh, strong correlations. And in animal studies, there has also been shown that they actually have a causative effect um, for these things. But the microbiome is, is really complicated. There are thousands of bacteria species as well as eukaryotes and, and viruses in, in the microbiome. So it's, so it's still a fairly complicated thing to understand. Um, and and um, and that's probably uh, you know that's that's why it's such a it's such a challenging field as well. There is the, the diseases can be caused from, every, from uh, everything from what what is commonly called dysbiosis, which is basically that the ecosystem is is kind of tilted in a way, uh, all the way down to to specific strain level differences, and probably probably where most people are seeing the microbiome field is, is in this dysbiosis, but we have many examples where it's really detailed things that makes a difference. I mean, all of the, the uh, most of the pathogens we know are, are like that, that it's specific strains of E. coli that cause uh, diarrhea and stuff like that. Wow, so it's a really kind of broad um, research field and um... Yeah, so now that we know a little bit more about it from your introduction, do you want to go into a bit more detail about your background specifically in microbiome research? Yeah, sure. So as I said, I was part of the Metahit uh, Consortium, which was the European initiative to, um, to try to start understanding the microbiome. And, and in this, this, I think we learned a lot of things about the microbiome. We, we did the first gene catalogs. Uh, understanding how complicated the microbiome is, uh, more than uh, I think believe the belief is now that it has more than 10 million genes. Um, there are thousands of species, 
and one of the things we also did there, and, and I was I was heading that, uh, was uh, that, that we could profile the microbiome, uh, the species of the microbiome using co-abundance. And so without having reference genomes for the different bacteria, we could actually uh, observe them in, in microbiome samples, and we can also learn and actually assemble the genomes of these bacteria um, from, the, from the raw metagenomic data. We have also uh, studied uh, diabetes, type 2 diabetes there, and found uh, very interesting association to species and also how these species contribute to our metabolome, so, so how they contribute to metabolites that are in our blood um, that, that uh, may have a role uh, in, uh, in progression from pre-diabetes to uh, type 2 diabetes. Uh, another thing that we also observed in the consortium was that, that a lot of the drugs that we are taking, they, they impact the microbiome, and probably also the microbiome are impacting a lot of the drugs that we're taking. So I, one of the things I foresee will happen in, in the future uh, is that most drugs will basically have to be, it will have to be understood how the microbiome affects the drug. If they, if they metabolize the drug, what are the side effects of, of those metabolites of the drugs and things like that? This has to, I think that will have to be understood in some future. Wow, really interesting work there. And clearly you are the expert on uh, the microbiome. So what are your top tips to maintain a healthy microbiome? Well, there is not a lot of news there, I think. I mean, eat a lot of vegetables and eat varied. That's still the recommendation, I think. I think if, if you think of a microbiome point of view, uh, I think personally that eating varied is actually more important than you, you would think. So, so as, as I said before, eat a lot of vegetables is good, but I don't think you should do anything extreme going on, on, on you know, a very specific diet. I think for most people, it's healthy to have a very varied, varied diet with lots of different vegetables in it. Uh, not too much alcohol, of course, and antibiotics is, is something you should use with some cautious. Okay, I'll definitely keep that in mind. So varied diet is what I need to remember. <laughs> um, so you mentioned earlier um, that the microbiome isn't just found in the gut, which is actually a misconception. Yeah, yes. As I said, there, there, we have microbes everywhere. Um, on us, um, you know, our skin is, is one of the fields that, of the microbiome fields that is, is coming up uh, as, as being important. And a lot of companies are studying this and also a lot of academics are trying to appreciate the importance of the skin microbiome. Um, there's also the oral and, and the vaginal microbiome. Um, these microbiomes, compared to the gut microbiome, they are, um, the biomass is much lower, of course. Uh, um, and so it, it, it poses some challenges to how you can study it because you, you have to sample uh, the microbiome in, in a way uh, where you don't get uh, too much um, of the human, human, too much human DNA in your samples. But I think those things we, we have... Uh, we have dealt with that, and, and we can now do, uh, do proper sampling of that. But we are learning how important, for example, different pop, uh, population of, um, of microbes is important for acne and, and a number of diseases um, related to skin, uh, different skin diseases. So I definitely think the other microbiomes are, are very interesting and are, um, 
they're, they're coming up as, as important things. I, I would also say for the God, most people are thinking of the God as basically the stool microbiome. And, and that's obviously the most, in, uh, sorry, the most, the easiest way of sampling the, the gastrointestinal microbiome. But probably the microbiome of the uh, small intestine is, is more important for, for a lot of our, our disease phenotypes. Um, unfortunately, it's very difficult to sample that. But I, I think that's, that's going to change in, in the future. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, and talking about the future, like obviously this is a very exciting and broad field. And how do you think that clinical microbiomics itself is going to shape the future of this field? Mm. Well, I mean, that's obviously difficult to, to predict exactly. Um, we, we're, staying, we're trying to stay on the forefront on, on the research in terms of, uh, we, ha we have a lot of bioinformatics research. Um, and also we, we are trying to, to stay on top of, of the best sequencing methods, the best ways of extracting. Uh, you know, trying to have extremely consistent uh, uh, extractions and things like that. That's, that's turned out to be very important for, especially for the larger studies. And I think that's where the field is going. That the, 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 we can definitely see that the, the size of the studies our clients are ordering have, have grown uh, from, from being in the, you know, in the maybe a hundred samples to now uh, many studies have several thousands uh, samples in, in a study. So, so that is a way that the field is definitely going. Um, but I, I think it's also going to, I think in, in the near future, uh, the microbiome will be at least secondary endpoint for clinical trials. Uh, and so there's, there's a lot of work going on in standardizing this and, and living up to the requirements of uh, regulatory bodies like FDA. Um, so, so, but I, I think there's, you know, clinical microbiomics is, is a highly dynamic group of, we have around 25 researchers and there's, there's going on a lot of things on, on all levels in, in, um, in this direction. And now moving on to NLS days itself, you'll be joining Super Session 2, Microbiome, the New Genetics. Could you give us an overview of what the talk will be about? Yeah. Um, so, the, um, um, so the focus uh, of this session is um, the, uh, how, how the microbiome plays into personalized me medicine. And as everybody has a unique microbiome. And that's, that's a thing you, you need to understand about microbiomes, that we are completely unique. And I'm, I'm, going, I'm, I'm fleshing that out a bit in this presentation. Um, and then I'm going in to, to show that we can actually learn something from that. The fact that everybody varies, it, it gives us um, the opportunity to study what is special about those that have a given phenotype, a disease or something like that, um, and, and to some extent, we can tease out what those little details that are special about those that have a phenotype of disease is, and we can learn from that. Um, so so that's, that's one of the main take-home of, of the press, uh, that, that talk. Yeah, no, that sounds really interesting. Also with me to discuss microbiome science, I have Eric Delafortel. So Eric, what makes microbiome research an area that's really exciting to invest in at the moment? Uh, you're going to drag me into philosophical thought, so I'll indulge in that for a moment. <laughs> uh, from an anthropological uh, point of view, there is a real obstacle that I see in many people to think of our environment 
as essentially full of microbes. So any surface we touch has microbes on it. The air we breathe has microbes and any, any surface on us and in us is, uh, is populated by microbes. And by microbes, I mean bacteria, uh, viruses, uh, microscopic fungi, et cetera, et cetera. And whenever I see a, a picture of an artery, a picture of an organ, a picture of the intestine, even a picture of the intestine, it's always very clean. You see the human tissue and that's it. And we can imagine it's, it's, it's just us and the air. And it's not true. The, the, the reality is that we live constantly in symbiosis with microbes everywhere. And picturing this in our mentality has been historically extremely difficult. Uh, we picture the world as clean, quote unquote. And therefore, we cannot think of this cohabitation with microbes that live and that are good for us. All these microbes, 99.9% .9 of these are actually good for us. And since uh, Pasteur and, and, and the understanding that some microbes can be pathogenic, our culture has integrated that a good microbe is a dead microbe. And that is extremely dangerous. This cultural element is very dangerous for our health because the more we, we remove microbes by disinfectants, by antibiotics and by food preservatives, which we eat more or less three times a day, this is going to, to, to kill the microbial life that we harbor on us and in us. And killing this indifferentiably is extremely bad for our health and is at least a major contributor to the development of obesity, of autoimmune disease that we've seen not coincidentally ramp up since uh, the 1950s when all these antibiotic killing or uh, these uh, microbial killing activities and industrial foods and industrial detergents have ramped up together with the ramp up of these uh, chronic diseases. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. And what do you think is the future then of this microbiome research? So it's, it's interesting because in, in a large way, the microbiome connected diseases are due to our own fault, to behaviors and to products that we have as a human species produced in the last 50 to 100 years. So in principle, undoing what we've done wrong by not understanding the importance of microbiome in years past should be relatively easy, but because it's a cultural shift, it's actually quite difficult. So in order to accelerate this, we need to introduce uh, drugs or nutritional approaches that accelerate this shift in the healthy microbiome. And that's really what companies can do in you know, the five to 10 years of an, a venture investment, they can produce products or, or at least put drugs in clinical studies in order to redress the balance that has been lost by wrong activities or wrong behaviors in the past. Yeah, so are there any um, upcoming innovations that are actually growing in this area more specifically? Yes, and because, because the microbiome is so important, so prevalent, in our day-to-day -day life, the, the applications are pretty much everywhere. Uh, there's very few drug discovery areas not touched by microbiome research. 
and uh, we, we could also call it symbiotic research. So in terms of the main areas, uh, the gastrointestinal tract is a very important area. We are seeing these days the first products come to market in the C. difficile infections. This will be the first wave of microbiome products in the drug discovery area, but also intestinal bowel disease, IBD, is a very ripe area for uh, microbiome drug discovery research. And then we have cancer coming behind with phase two studies, atopic diseases, uh, eczema and food allergies, for instance, and um, metabolic diseases are also there. And neuroscience is a very exciting application of the microbiome in drug discovery. But in saying, and, and dermatology, so acne, uh, atopic dermatitis and many other skin diseases are very important because the microbiome is also on our skin. I should mention women's health because vaginal microbiome has an impact on, on women's health. And I think that's a, a, a near complete picture, but as you see, it's a very wide picture and I've, I've probably forgotten some areas. It's clearly a very diverse area with a lot of exciting things to expect. Um, but how has COVID actually affected the movement of um, this research in the past year? And how has it affected Seventure specifically? So in terms of our portfolio, our portfolio companies has, have been like everyone else. Uh, they've been um, affected in terms of delays delays in lab work, delays in clinical studies, and delays in logistics and getting the right uh, products uh, sourced from various countries when they are already have a chain of manufacturing and of selling. That's not different from anyone else. Yeah. Uh, our portfolio companies on the whole have been very resilient. It was in a way a test of leadership for management and a test of resilience for company employees learning to work in different ways. And some have even learned to work more productively in the new circumstances. So on the whole, we found reserves of resilience in our portfolio that were really pleasing to see. Now at the level of Seventure as a fund manager, we've, we, we've been working like never before. We've been working to continue supporting our portfolio companies through these difficult times because delays means that the budgets were not met that refinancings were necessary and together with our uh, investment syndicates in the companies where we invest, we were very busy putting together uh, short term plans to bridge over the financing of these companies and um, and to invest in in new companies. Investments has not stopped uh, during the COVID period. Uh, the, the general focus on biotech through the vaccines, the COVID vaccines, etc made sure that even more money is available for uh, biotech investment and therefore our, our activity has not slowed down on the contrary it has accelerated okay brilliant thank you so much and whilst we're talking about your role could you tell us a little bit more about the other life science innovations that seventure invest in such as diagnostics so yes we, we are active in the field of diagnostics and i would not oppose it to microbiome some of our diagnostics investments are in the field of microbiome. This kind of research is so multidisciplinary that there are many biomarkers in the microbiome that can predict, uh, for instance, severity of cancer. Uh, another example, it predicts a coming flare 
of an autoimmune disease like rheumatoid arthritis, or uh, the, the analysis of the microbiome can predict the risk of diabetes. So in, in terms of diagnostics in general, we have a preference for investing in companies that develop a diagnostic that is a companion diagnostic. It's administered, it, it's, it's used together with a drug, uh, or it can be used together with a lifestyle change or with a nutritional solution. Sometimes in exceptional circumstances, we also invest in standalone diagnostic products, but our preference is to have the problem definition and the solution together, and that's a companion diagnostic. Um, we also you look at great biomarkers for neurodegenerative diseases, uh, and some of them in the, in the Nordic countries, where even though few drugs are on the horizon, um, the diagnostic could be a guideline for finding appropriate nutritional and lifestyle solution while waiting for a drug. An example would be Alzheimer's disease. Alzheimer's disease finds it very, very difficult, this research, to bring up new drugs to market. There's been some, a lot of high-profile failures and companies continue trying to their credit to bring an Alzheimer's drug to market. We don't know how many years patients still have to wait for this. But in the absence of an efficacious drug, an, a, a useful diagnostic could um, make people understand what microbiome, nutritional, or lifestyle changes could decrease their risk of developing the disease or decrease the manifestations of the disease once it has been diagnosed. So we do have an interest in diagnostics and we're pursuing it actively. So Eric, you'll be joining Bjorn in Super Session 2. Is there anything you'd like to add about the session? Sure. Um, in general terms, microbiome and genetics is a very happy marriage. Um, the microbiome was born out of a new way of doing genetics. It's, it's a way of doing population genetics on bacterial populations or even microbial populations. We, in our gut, on our skin, we harbor whole ecosystems of bacteria. And in contrast to uh, microbiology from the 50s, 60s, 70s, where each bacterium would was grown separately and analyzed separately, including with genetic tools, um, the field of metagenomics is to, to analyze the genome of a whole meta-organism, which is an ecosystem of microbes. And by analyzing the genes of all the microbes together in the sample and reconstructing what belongs to whom, you can have a view of functionalities and the biology of these organisms without separating them uh, in the test tube. And that is so powerful that it gave rise to this whole new flourishing of the microbiome. But then by extension, there's not only genetics there, there's the products of genetics, the sons of genetics in a way. So you can, the same way that you, you, you can analyze a microbiome by uh, metagenomic analysis, you can also analyze the metaproteome, which is the sum total of proteins that are being made by a given ecosystem of the microbiome. But why not metatranscriptome? So the, the, the sum total of all the RNAs that have been expressed and that testify for what happened to the environment of the microbiome. And the meta, metabolome, that's a bit of a horrible uh, word, but it, it, it's 
a source of potential future drugs, all these molecules, so not proteins in that case, small molecules, that's um, metabolites that, that the, the microbes are making to communicate with each other, to communicate with the host, to fight with each other. This biology is just starting to be explored and requires tools of genetics, but also of proteomics and metabolomics that are still being developed. There's a lot of work to do this, and that will bring us a lot of information for a new kind of medicine. So this session is really to understand the tools, to understand the goals, and to understand the low-hanging fruits of this new developing science. Thanks for that, Eric and Henrik. I've definitely learned a lot about the microbiome, and thanks for those fantastic tips. You can learn more about this exciting field in Super Session 2, Microbiome, the New Genetics, at NLS Days 2021. Join us again in a moment to dive deeper into healthcare diagnostics with Carl Bergman, the CEO of Elliptor. In the second part of this podcast, we are going to learn about healthcare diagnostics with Carl Bergman. So Carl, thank you for being here with us for this segment. Could you introduce yourself to our listeners? So I'm, uh, I'm the CEO of Elipta, and um, in a nutshell, we are a molecular diagnostic company um, based in, in, in uh, Stockholm as well as in Gothenburg. And we're pioneering a metabolism-based approach to early detection of cancer. Um, and we do this uh, using a novel type of, of liquid biopsy. Could you tell us more about what a liquid biopsy is? Sure. Um, so a liquid biopsy is really, it's just a, a sampling of biofluids like urine or blood. That, that's really what it is. Uh, typically, you take a liquid biopsy to look for biomarkers, um, sort of implied in the concept. Um, yeah. Um, is there any more specific information about a liquid biopsy of the kidney? There are no really validated liquid biopsy tests for for kidney cancer today, so that, meaning that they're not approved by by the US FDA, for instance. Um, so we hope to provide the first the first such such test. Um, uh, yeah, so so it's it's a short answer, but <laughs> it's been a problematic tumor type to find uh, useful clinically useful biomarkers. Can you outline the technologies involved and why these are beneficial to the patients and hospitals? Yeah, sure. Um, the research behind uh, the forming of Elipta was really uh, to, to try to figure out what biomarkers in metabolism might be useful to, to detect and follow up cancer. And um, uh, it revealed that the most relevant uh, uh, biomarkers were the gagome. So this is the concentration and composition of, of something called glycosaminoglycans, uh, sugars uh, uh, that you find in between the cells. Uh, so the technology we've developed is to assays, laboratory assays, to measure uh, all these metabolites in a reliable way and then um, identify uh, the algorithms that can detect the sort of signatures in the data specific to cancer. So what this means is our product will be an assay kit to measure uh, the gagome and then a software for 
the algorithmic uh, sort of interpretation of that and answering the, the diagnostic question, do the patient have cancer? Amazing. So interesting. So just to kind of go back to basics a little bit, what is a biomarker and why is it so crucial to cancer diagnosis? Um, a biomarker is really, uh, it's anything that's measurable, really, that reflects some biological state. Um, to cancer in this case, uh, sort of what, what we're looking for. But I mean, uh, and we're talking about liquid biopsies here. So that means we're looking for biomarkers in the blood or in the urine, but it could be, uh, you know, anything. There are lots of uh, digital, digital health companies that are looking for, for biomarkers in other types of data. But, but that's, that's really what, what it is. Uh, and and it's, it's worth perhaps stating that sort of uh, why is it important to have biomarkers in cancer? There's a lot of uses here. Um, you could use it from detecting cancer at an early stage to setting the diagnosis right uh, or following the disease and see if it gets worse or comes back. And, and then also to evaluate the response to treatment and the, the real key thing that we think is it's often forgotten that you think of cancer patients and you're acutely aware of your problems, but uh, for a large span of time, the disease is asymptomatic. So meaning that you, you can have a, a growing cancer for, for a very long time that you are not aware of uh, and the tumor gets bigger. And uh, then you won't detect it typically because you have no reason to do uh, an investigation. So that's where we need um, uh, biomarkers that allows for for early detection also when the tumor is small and asymptomatic. Okay, brilliant. Thank you. That's so interesting. And just to now go more into you, um, could you give us an insight into your scientific background and how you got into this progressive field? Yeah, so I myself am not uh, the uh, sort of scientist behind Elliptus technology. I happen to be a bioengineer, but I spent most of my career on the commercial side of things in management consulting, strategy consulting, and also digitalization of, of, uh, of healthcare in different ways. Um, but the, the, uh, the researchers who drove this research and, and founded Elipta and is on the team as well, um, came to this from a, a systems biology perspective. So they, they used um, bioinformatics approaches, uh, not uh, not coming from the lab side, but actually from the uh, um, uh, computer side, if you will, uh, and looking for patterns that were re relevant in metabolism that were their speciality. So the intersection between um, bioinformatics and then and then uh, knowledge about the metabolism led to this uh, this breakthrough. Elipta was chosen as one of the 80 rising stars to join Nordic Life Science Invest. Can you tell us a little bit about your involvement about with this and what it will entail? Yeah, we will uh, uh, participate in this uh, in this investment event, and uh, what we hope to get out of it is really to to show what we're doing to to relevant investors and 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 find find the right match for the future and to 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 realize all the plans that we have. Um, so it's a very exciting event. Yeah, definitely. And also at the NLS Days event, you'll um, be talking as part of a Super Session 5 from Population to Precision. Um, could you give us an overview about what you will speak on? Sure. Um, so I'm speaking about the challenges related to early detection of cancer, um, both from a technical but also from a clinical perspective. 
and of course then what Elipta can do to help address these challenges. Um, and I guess it can be summarized as we, we see that it's very difficult to find these early stage tumors. Um, so, so that's a problem in itself, regardless of what cancer type we are trying to find. And then the second problem is that there are lots of cancers that don't have good biomarkers to begin with, uh, regardless of, of, uh, of stage of the disease. So there's a lot of sort of open space here for diagnostic or early detection companies. Um, so that, that's the technical challenge. And, uh, and then we have the, the, the very high bar that would need to be met, of course, to, to get to, to market with these types of tests. So I'll, I'll expand a bit about that. To finish off, could you tell us what you are most looking forward to at the NLS Days 2021 event? Yeah, sure. So, well, I, I look forward to the panel discussion, actually. I think that would be very interesting. Um, but also the, the meetings, you know, that, that's, that's the, uh, for me, uh, the, the key, key reasons, reason to, to, to attend to, to both hear insights from the different uh, um, uh, uh, presentations, etc., but then to be able to meet with both investors and pharmaceutical companies to, to discuss potential collaboration projects. Well, thank you so much to Carl and all of our guests for that fantastic overview of the microbiome and healthcare diagnostics. I can't wait to hear your talks at NLS Days 2021. You can find out more about NLS Days and their wide range of speakers on the NLS Days website, nlsdays.com. Goodbye from me and make sure to stay tuned for more Everyday Science of content. You've been listening to the Scientific Podcasting Network. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at SciPodNet for more episodes and our latest news. Thanks for listening.